If you would take your scriptures, turn with you to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, we'll be reading verses 11 through 22. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made uh, both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been our delight, we would have perished in our afflictions. We will never forget your precepts, by, for by them you have preserved our lives. Save us, for we are yours. We have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy us, but we ponder your statutes. To our perfection, we see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Hear our prayers and receive our praise, for we bring them in the name of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. God had a plan for his creation. In that plan, he received, uh, uh, he prepared to redeem a people unto himself. He planned to reveal himself and his character to his people. He worked his plan out in the annals of history revealing parts of this plan throughout history through the covenants he established with his people. The final understanding of his covenant with mankind was that through the incarnation, life, and shed blood of his only begotten son, he would establish an unbreakable relationship with them where they would be his people and he would be their God. He would come and live in their midst and he would be their redeemer their comforter, their guide, their strength. To carry this plan out, there had to be a vessel through which his people could be brought together. The first stage in this was the family of Abraham. Abraham was called out of Ur into a land set apart by God for him and his family. Abraham was given a promise that a land would be given to him and his descendants. He was promised that God would be his God and that the the God of his children and that his descendants would be God's people. 
This progressed until his descendants were many. At that time, they were given the promised land and made into a nation. They were given the ark, which represented God in their midst. As they grew, God established a permanent place for himself to be in the midst of, in their midst, the temple at Jerusalem. After a number of years, sent his, he sent his, God, God sent his son to carry the promise a step further. Jesus came to fulfill all the covenant promises. He came to make a reality of the promises that God would be in their midst all the time. Jesus fulfilled all the law required to bring sinful men into the presence of God the Father. After his resurrection, he returned to the Father, and he and the Father sent the Holy Spirit to live in the midst of his people. This time, it was not a temple of stone and mortar, but one of living spirits, made up of those who had believed and trusted in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. The Holy Spirit came, He came to live in their midst in each person. This new temple is called the Church of Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is to be a part of this great temple of living souls. The true temple of the living God. In this letter to the Ephesians, Paul is dealing with the great church and its place in the lives of believers. He is showing the importance it plays in the carrying forth of the message of salvation. You must not fail in recognizing the importance of your participation in this great body. You are called as believers in Jesus Christ to join with others who believe in Christ to build this church. This is the final earthly vessel through which God is fulfilling his promise to make us all his children and to be our God living in our midst. Ultimately, This church will be caught up into heaven where we will be part of the new Jerusalem where God will be the center and great light where we can forever look upon his glory and enjoy him as never before. In the passage we are looking at this morning, verses 19 through 22, Paul is telling of this great goal of God in Jesus Christ. The goal to make you one with him and with one another to build you into his glorious church. Paul has spoken of your sinful estate and your need of redemption. In verse 19, he says, Consequently, because of your sin and through Jesus Christ's works, this is what is going to happen. First, he speaks of your relationship with God. Second, the apostle talks about the foundation this church will have. Third, he tells of the church itself. And last, He reminds you of the unity you shall have within its walls. Since Christ has reconciled both Jew and Gentile to God through his suffering on the cross, and both now have their access in one spirit to the Father, therefore all inequality between Jew and Gentile as far as their standing before God is concerned has come to an end. Paul affirms this truth in verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You, as an unsaved person, had been a citizen of another kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. But that ended with your being given a new heart. You are no longer to be considered a stranger, but a fellow citizen. 
Jews also had to have the new heart, and as the scripture says, have their hearts circumcised to be a part of this true kingdom of God. When the Jews were capturing the promised land, you may remember that Joshua made a mistake. The Gibeonites deceived him and made a a pact so they could continue to live in their homes, which it turned out was right in the middle of the promised land. They became a part of Israel. They were not members of the kingdom as the Israelites were, but still a part of the kingdom. Many Jews were also not true children of God. Only Jews who had a circumcised heart were true children of God. We have seen that God tore down the wall of separation. Jesus fulfilled the law doing away with its rules and regulations in order to make a way for men, Jew and Gentile, to come into his true kingdom. You must understand, there are not two groups of God's people in this kingdom, and there are not two kingdoms. You must recognize this church is not divided in any way. There is not a first-class group of Jewish converts and a second-class group of Gentile believers. The terms of admission into this church are the same for all, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no difference between them. There is also no special rank or standing based on your past or your associations. Paul expresses this in a very intimate way. He declares we are all now members of the household of God. You are no longer a foreigner looking in from the outside. You're no longer a Gibeonite inside but not apart. You're no longer a Jew with an uncircumcised heart. All who will believe and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation are a part of the family of the true and living God. This great promise of the covenant of grace is, I will be your God and you will be my people. Because of the work of Christ in his life, death, and resurrection, this promise is made a reality for people from every race, nation, tribe, and language group on the face of this earth. There is only one thing today that separates people, and that is sin. If the sin is washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, then we are all drawn together as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. This fellowship is an extremely important aspect of your church life. You as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ need to come together to help one another. You are to encourage each other. You are to offer your strengths to one another. Yes, you have a relationship with Jesus through your redemption, but you also have relationships one with another through the same redemption. The church is to be your new family. It is to become a very intimate part of your life. It gives you family members It gives you new family members to share the struggles of your life with. Why would you want to be a part of God's kingdom and then not worship and fellowship with those who are your fellow heirs and brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? One of the reasons all believers should want to be a part of this church of Jesus Christ is because of the foundation Paul says it was built upon. Verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This church, the Christian church, is built on the foundation of God's word. 
Hebrews 11, Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. The foundation of this church is Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. Listen to Peter in 1 Peter 2, 6, as he speaks of Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. This is the reason you should be want to be a part of the church. God has given one who can save your soul, who can deliver you from the curse of sin and death. That one is Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. But there is more to this foundation. In 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12, Peter speaks of this salvation. He reminds that the prophets spoke of the grace that would come to every believer. Peter says that these old prophets searched intently and with great care. What were they doing? They were trying to understand the circumstances the Spirit was laying out. The Spirit was pointing to Jesus and the glories that would follow him. In this, they came to the realization that they were not serving themselves, but they were serving us. It is through the preaching of the gospel is led by the Holy Spirit that we learn and grow. The prophets of old were serving you, those who would believe and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. They were laying blocks in the foundation that would become the church of Jesus Christ. That is why study of the scripture is so important. Those who preach to you must base what they preach upon the scriptures. They must help you to learn about this great foundation. It's so important, Peter says, that even the angels desire to understand it better. One of the things you must understand about this is where this prophecy came from. 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of God, by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. These prophets heard the word of God. They delivered through their writings what God said. The whole of the Bible was given to reveal this wonderful plan of redemption to mankind. It is the foundation of that plan. Therefore, the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ. There is one more stone in this foundation. 2 Peter 3.2 says, That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. The chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. The prophets of old were preparing the message he would bring. That was their job, to prepare us. Then after his resurrection, the apostles completed the message and they laid the final blocks in the foundation of this great church. This church is built on Jesus Christ and his word given through the apostles and prophets. The word given to church is a very special revelation from God. Without this special revelation, the believer has no guidance, no foundation upon which to build his life. Paul explains the importance of this revelation in 2 Peter 3, verses 16 and 17. And I'm reading from the NIV. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness 
so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The main objective for the believer in becoming one with Jesus Christ is to be made more and more like him every day. How is that going to happen? It happens through a process we call sanctification. Peter speaks of this when talking of God's elect in 1 Peter 1, 2. He says, God's elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart. He comes, as a, as he comes because you're a believer. And he takes the word of God and begins to apply its message in your life. Paul says this scripture comes directly from God. As the NFA says, it is God-breathed. It was given to be used to help you grow and become more like Jesus Christ. He says it has four basic tasks for the believer. It is given to teach you about God, about this wonderful plan of redemption. It is to correct you when you have misconceptions about what it means to be one with Jesus. It will rebuke you when you stumble onto the wrong path. It will train you in your ways that you will grow in your righteousness. It will take you as one who is called by God and given a new heart and speed, spirit. It will then thoroughly equip you to walk with this life doing every good work planned for you to do from before the foundation of the world. If you say you love Jesus Christ, if you say you believe in him alone for your salvation, then you must, out of love, be obedient to him. He calls you to join with others of like mind, not just to come together on Sunday worship, but to make yourself a part of his body by becoming an active member of his church to bring your gifts together with others in order that the gospel message might be continually declared. This church of Jesus Christ is a very important aspect of our faith. It is not just an unorganized group of believers who do their own thing. I'm afraid we have allowed that idea to grow in this country with our inappropriate attitude toward personal freedom. The freedom that man was created with this is very important. The freedom that man was created with was the freedom to be what God created him to be and do. You're not free until you're actively being what God created you to be. This is the only thing that can set you perfectly free. We are not just called out of the world, but we are also called to come together in Christ, which makes us free. The scripture is full of admonitions for leaders to teach and you to submit unto the authority of God that one that he has established in his church. Listen to Jesus' admonition to Peter in John 21, 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter was given a personal commission. It was to go and feed the sheep of Christ's church. Paul gives the admonition to the elders of Ephesus in Acts 20, 28. 
Therefore, take heed of yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Peter gives a similar admonition in 1 Peter 5, 2. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. In Hebrews 13, 17, we hear this admonition to the people. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I hope. I hope you can see. The church is to be a place of organization. It is to have leaders and members serving one another. The church is built on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. All the other stones must fit themselves to this one stone. This means that the whole character of the house will be determined by the character of Christ, which is one of the organization, purity, and holiness. The purpose and goal of this house is to be found only in Jesus Christ. The direction comes from Christ. Therefore, Believers are the living stones that make up this house and must regulate their living lives according to the the will of the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. In other words, you need to become more and more like him every day. Paul says to the house in verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Can you think of anything more wonderful than we're going to be part of the temple of the living Lord? Here we see Jesus is not only the principle of the church's stability and direction, but also its growth. We're not called to make the church grow. We are called to be faithful in all Christ commissioned us to do. The growth of the church is his responsibility. Please understand this. You're not the construction engineer. We have too much of this mentality around today that says we have to make the church attractive and entertaining to draw people. That was never a part of our commission. Our commission was to present the truth and leave who came in to Jesus Christ. Paul said, in him, the whole building is joined together. You are one of those living stones that are being joined with other living stones to form this glorious temple. Here we can see both the vertical and horizontal relationship to the church. You are the building material as you come to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. You form the building as you come together with other believers. If you remain separated, then you are not a part of the true church. The true church, Paul says, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Without this connection, you are not a part of the temple and thus not a part of the kingdom. Because this church is the work of Jesus Christ, it becomes ever increasingly a holy sanctuary in the Lord. Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life you could not live. He died the atoning death you could never die. He won the resurrection victory of the forces of evil you could never win. Through this, he laid the foundation for this great spiritual temple. He shed his blood. His shed blood purchased the building materials to make this temple. It is thus holy and set apart, cleansed and consecrated. 
All those who had been washed in his blood will have a desire to be a part of this temple. To come in and associate themselves with others of like mind. To offer themselves and all they have in the process of the building of this temple. Search your hearts. Ask yourself, am I being a contributing member of the Lord's temple? Am I offering encouragement to others? Am I being a witness to others of proper submission and obedience? Am I following the teachings of the scripture? Not in order to earn a place with God, but in order to show my love for Jesus Christ and what he has done for me through his shed blood. Am I truly overjoyed to be a part of his church? Can you ask yourself that question? You really need to put some thought into it. I hope and pray that you are living stones and are very much filled with gladness at the thought of being in Christ's church. No longer are you as a believer in Jesus, a foreigner or alien, as Paul declared in verses 11 through 13. Now you are an heir. You are a fellow heir with Christ. It really belongs to you. You have a relationship with your creator and with those other people that believe in him. He says in verse 22, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Now, if I can show you one thing through this message, I hope it is that you are now in union with Christ as a believer. That's important that we understand that. This union with Christ is extremely important. Why? Because he says, you also are being built together. In your union with Jesus, you're being drawn into fellowship with one another. When you join this church, you took several vows. In those vows, you promised that you understood yourself to be a sinner and you believed and trusted in Christ alone for your salvation. You acknowledged your need of his divine help to live this life out as a Christian and that with his help, you will work to be a good witness. You also promised to support the church, to give of your time, talent, and finances to help the church carry on her ministry. Then in the most important of those vows, you promised to submit to the government and discipline of the church. That means you were willing to hear the word of truth that came from her pulpit that you would strive to make yourself a part of the society of her members. You promised to strive for her peace and purity by being an encouragement to others through your thoughts, words, and deeds. What you are saying in these vows is that not only are you in union with Christ, but also with his people. What's the purpose of this union? Verse 22 again, being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Yes. You each have the Holy Spirit in your heart as believers, but the dwelling place of God, the temple of his presence, is your union with one another in him. The idea of a dwelling place, a home, is an indication of permanence, a place of close fellowship, of intimate contact, protection, and love. The dwelling place of God is not small. It's large, and it is the hearts of his people joined to him and to one another. This church is much more than a building. It is the spiritual temple of God. You join with one another to express your belief and trust in Christ and his work. 
Your union together is a testimony of your love and union with him. You're being built together as the house of God in which he lives by his spirit. Can you have his spirit and not be drawn to that commitment and to service in his body? No, you cannot. For that is the work of the spirit to draw you into this body, to draw you into union with your Lord. In conclusion, we must hold membership in Christ's body in the same high esteem we hold faithfulness to God's word. The whole of the history of this covenant of redemption has been to bring people together. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost, to save them from the darkness and loneliness of sin, to bring them together in union with him and their fellow believers. The promise of the covenant is, I will be your God and you will be my people. He's drawing all who will hear and believe in Jesus Christ to his family, where there will never again be darkness nor sin. If you have not found this wonderful fellowship, then I call you to hear the message of hope. That Jesus has lived the perfect life for you, died the atoning death on your behalf, won the resurrection victory over the forces of evil that have held you in bondage to sin. You can begin experiencing this wonderful union in principle by joining a church of like-minded believers. No, it will not be a perfect fellowship, but that will come when Christ returns, when he returns and takes with him all who has seen in principle this great offer of union in Christ with one another. Please, don't delay. Turn from your sins to Jesus Christ. And commit yourself to God and he will draw you into his church and will save your soul. Let's pray. Lord, help us to increase in our knowledge of you. Help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to stay on the right path and have clean hands to grow in our relationship with you. Let our path be as as the shining light which shines more and more unto the perfect day. Let your word be like the rain that causes the flowers to grow, causes our hearts to grow deep into your word like strong roots. Make our branches to spread and our beauty to shine. We pray all of this in the name of the Son of Righteousness, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.